Ben Clark, in 2010, whilst on a break from training for the London Olympics as a swimmer, dove into the sea and broke his neck, changing his life forever. Despite having 75% of his body paralysed, he was determined to not let it defeat him and set out to live his life to the full. That thinking led him to adapt to perform, which Ben started as a way to help himself and others get fit and healthy no matter their circumstances, a first of its kind. Training on the door um, so that if somebody comes along, they're not just I'm in and ahhing what to do. They are there to be like, oh, welcome. We've got a program. This guy knows how to show you around the gym, tell you what you can do, etc. Adaptive Perform is now the world's largest resource of adapted fitness, helping over 10,000 individuals all over the world live their lives to the fullest. Ben does this all through content creation via both the Adaptive Perform website and social media, which now reaches places he didn't expect or plan for. But I realised quickly that it went out to multiple places in the world and it was helping people that were in very, very different situations to myself, despite having the same disability. This conversation is a third of a new venture with the Brunel Alumni Association of Singapore. The format is based on entrepreneurs in action, and we are looking to evolve it into a standalone podcast series focused on Brunel alumni based in Singapore. Send your ideas and suggestions to me on LinkedIn or in person at the next Brunel Alumni Association meetup in Singapore. One final thing. Around 5 minutes 40 seconds, I asked Ben about the accident. He does go into some details, so if you are of a sensitive nature, please skip forward to around 7 minutes 45 seconds, where I ask him about his recovery. Due to possible editing changes, please visit the website for more accurate details. So now, without further delay, let's begin. Ben Clark, can you just introduce yourself? My name is Ben. The first thing that people probably know about me is that I'm in a wheelchair. It's quite obvious when you meet me. For Obviously, you won't see me on the uh, the audio, but um, yeah, um, if you met me in person, you'd see that I'm in a wheelchair. Quite a big defining part of my life. But yeah, it's it's been a long journey to get to where I am today. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to share some of that with you. What was your life like pre-2010? Before... 2010 which is when I became disabled um, essentially I was trying to be a professional swimmer training for the Olympics in London 2012 representing Great Britain I was training 20 plus hours a week I was in the gym several days a week as I'm living the lifestyle that I was needed to live to in order to become an Olympian that was essentially what I was I was doing I had gone to boarding school through my teenage years to try and you know, be part of a school that would was set up for the swimming and then I had moved out to Australia even to train with some of the best people in the world and being guided under some of the best coaches in the world as well. How so, old were you when you moved to Australia? Just turned 19 when I moved to Australia yeah and I was out there for 10 months in total and I came back for my niece's christening and that's when my life changed as such in 2010 and yeah um, everything could, uh, that I thought I had known had suddenly stopped and it was something different and new. So what kind of an athlete were you when you were training? Yeah, so when I was training, it was, um, I, for my swimming race, I was more towards like the sprint races, the 50 metres, the 100 metres, and occasionally the 200 metres as well. 
this meant that my training regime was very much based on skill and perfecting the skills so that very few error for margin within the sprint races like if you do one little thing wrong that will affect you all the way down the race so for me when I was training and uh, implementing it the reason I loved that sprinting so much was because I liked the perfectionism of it so being able to like dial everything down making sure my preparation before the race was correct getting on the blocks making sure my feet were in the right position um, hands in the right position diving in exactly the way that I've you know, done it millions of times before in training and get it all finely tuned. And that's, that's the type of training I enjoyed and I liked. And, uh, part of it as well was one of my favorite parts of the sport, which is the stuff we did out of the pool, a lot of the mindset stuff, but also like the strength and conditioning work and building on that, which can really help with the sprinting side of it, the explosive power and all that, and learning about my body and how I could utilize it to the best of my ability to perform the best I could. Were you the kind of athlete that needed to be pushed or did you push yourself? Back then, I was definitely more of the athlete that the coach would probably have to put their arm around as such. Um, I preferred much more positive reinforcement rather than being like shouted at, essentially. I responded a lot better to somebody who was uh, essentially working with me. Um, I didn't respond very well to like the army drill sergeant type where it's like, do it, did it, did it, did it, did it. For me, it was like, do something and analyze it together and see how we can improve. So as somebody who wanted to work with me rather than telling me what to do. The accident, can you just tell us a little bit about what happened and the effect it had on you? Yeah, so as I said, I came home from Australia to my niece's christening and I was just down at the beach one day and I ran down the beach, much like doing Baywatch, dove into a wave, again, like they do in Baywatch, but not quite like they do in Baywatch, I um, unfortunately hit my head on the bottom, dove in, my hands just broke away, hit my head on some sand. That essentially gripped my head in position and my, the full weight of my body went through my neck. That caused a compression in the neck, which gave me a spinal cord injury, essentially, and at a C7 level. Initially, when that happened, I was lying down, coming in and out of consciousness, face down in the water, not being able to turn over and essentially thinking my life was over at that point because I was drowning. Luckily, I didn't drown because I'm here today to talk to yeah, you. Yeah. So, so were you alone? Uh, I was with a friend at the time. I don't think they'd realised straight away what had happened. But the next thing I realised, I was on the beach looking up towards the sun um, and not being able to move at all at the time. And then the next thing I remember is being in the back of an ambulance, being told what roughly had happened. But... I was a little bit naive at the time, not really understanding what a spinal cord injury was, assuming that, oh, I've hurt myself. It's like a broken arm in eight, 10, 12 weeks. I'll be fine and back to normal and back to my training. That obviously those weeks came and <laughs> nothing had changed. And that's sort of more when the reality of the situation had really set in, and especially when whilst I was in hospital, I was just at a regular local hospital, but they had a specialist come down from Salisbury uh, at the spinal unit at Salisbury and they came and they explained what had happened and what the next couple of months was going to be years and then my life essentially leading forwards. After your accident mm -hmm. your life obviously changed yeah. what happened to you then how did you feel about that that the change? Yeah so initially when I first had the accident my first thoughts was 
as I said, the naivety of it, but also that I just wanted to get back into the pool and start swimming again. And even once sort of, I realized what the situation was, I still wanted to just get back into the pool. Uh, up until that point, I swimming had been my whole life and I just wanted to get back in the pool and see what I could do. I was fortunate enough whilst I was in hospital, they had a like a rehab pool. So I went down there as soon as I could with the nurses and the physios and started swimming. And I realized like, it will, for a start, it was very bizarre because I was hoisted in, which usually I would, you know, as I was saying, I was, I perfected how to dive into a pool for maximum speed. So now having to transfer into a seat and very slowly getting into the pool. And when my feet touched the water, I hadn't quite clicked in my mind that seeing the water come up my legs but not being able to feel it and then when it did get to the parts of my body that I could feel um it was it was a very nice sensation as such at that point I hadn't had a bath for about 10 weeks so it was very nice to just be immersed in water and then being weightlessness in the water was an incredible feeling initially they put loads of floats on me and uh, but I was soon taking those off and sort of realizing how I could still swim uh in that environment so yeah it was really great to um in those early days because it like gave me a purpose as such and it took my mind off the facts of what had happened and it gave me something to focus on and to really drive my whole rehab forwards and how I was going to approach my life once I had left the hospital so you tried to get back into swimming then you tried to get into the Paralympic team I was training for the Olympics and I wanted to represent Great Britain at the home Olympics in London uh, and I thought, well, you know, it's still two years away. Um, why don't I instead try and go for the Paralympics instead? Um, I did try. I got national gold medals and I was doing really well. But unfortunately, there was a rule at the time. I don't know if it still applies, but you have to be having a stable disability for at least two years but uh, for you to be able to be classified. Unfortunately, I was about three weeks out of <laughs> this, so I wasn't able to be classified. But also there's a classification domestically and then internationally as well so even if I did go through the process it might may have taken two years anyway to get through the classification process to make sure I was swimming with the right people essentially that obviously knocked my confidence a little bit but I thought you know what there's going to be a Paralympics in four years it'll give me more time to train but during those four years sort of my love of the sport dwindled and that was a little bit of frustration with not being able to do the Paralympics before but also not being uh, able to swim quite the way I did and I think although I had that purpose in those early days and it was great for that once I achieved sort of some medals and sort of realized where, what it was going to be like I realized like the aspects of the sport I loved the most had sort of gone and now I was more like just swimming for the sake of it rather than swimming because I enjoyed it. So there was a low point you had I think around 2015 I'd always been, as I said, been the swimmer, and that had been my whole identity. My whole identity was tied to who I was. Well, basically, my job title was my identity. And once that had gone away, I was like, I don't know who I am without swimming. I searched for other things to do, and I came up short in terms of not finding something I was truly passionate about. For a while, I tried different sports, I tried different hobbies, and nothing really stuck the same way as swimming had stuck back when I was younger. Instead of trying to attach myself to another job title, when I came to the realization of that's what I had been doing, 
I was like, why don't I attach myself to my values instead or what the type of person I want to be rather than the job title that I eventually have because I know now that it could be taken away from me whatever I do. So instead, I wanted to focus on being a good person, being a good friend, a good son, and eventually having a partner who I could be good to as well. Uh, also to be like loyal and to be a leader amongst people as well. So I just focused on what can I do to fit these roles rather than having a job and then fitting my values around the job afterwards. And initially that led me to coaching, back coaching at my old swimming club. I just went along one day, asked if they needed any volunteers and went in and they said they didn't have a strength and conditioning program and they would like me to help with some mentoring for some of the younger swimmers who wanted to do the similar things that I was doing at the time, well, previously. So I agreed to that. I went along, I set up a strength and conditioning program for them and it, again, started to mentor some of those younger swimmers that were on the path of what I wanted to be on too. So why did you think you could become a coach? Uh, I didn't think I could become, I yeah. just, I just, uh, I think I was out of ideas essentially at that point. And I sort of was like, well, this kind of fits my values. I still wanted to be like a leader, coach is a, a, a form of a leader. Um, and I wanted to be a good people, like good role model and follow people. It's like, well, I've got all this experience from my swimming days. Like I should really pass that on to somebody else and see if they can benefit from it. So that was my initial reason for asking to volunteer. And yeah, that led to some great things. Most athletes, when they go from competing to becoming coach, most fail. Yeah. How did you face that, knowing that this was something else that you were going to have to do? And you're now dispensing advice to other athletes. Yeah. What was your thought process then? I think honestly I wasn't really thinking that much I was just enjoying it uh, and maybe that's why I did well from it that I wasn't necessarily focused on like the detail aspects of it straight away I was just focused on myself and making sure that I was in a happy place and I think that reflected on the swimmers and because of that when I was giving out advice they listened to me more and I think as well me having a similar journey to them apart from my accident resonated with them quite nicely so I guess I doesn't really explain why other coaches don't succeed when you know they've been through a similar process to what their athletes have been through but I think uh, being more relaxed and in that environment it wasn't any pressure on me as well I came in a, as a volunteer I wasn't getting paid my like, life didn't depend on it as such this was well my mental well-being depended on it but my uh, physical life didn't necessarily put, depend on it or being able to put food on the table. So being able to relax in the environment and that helped me to excel. And much like when I was swimming, I wasn't great at being told what to do, but I was good at working with people, like the coach with the analyzing it. And I think I just applied that, but to the swimmers I was coaching. So it's like, let's go through the analysis and making them part of the coaching process rather than being told what to do. And obviously some got on with that others not so much so you, know, you I think it's just different coaching styles work with different people for you it was your enjoyment of what you were doing took you to the next level would you say that yeah yeah definitely the the, you know, the enjoyment and then yeah and you know all that analysis that I did before as well and that helped me to find a way that how I can find the enjoyment within the coaching like what aspects of it I like what then makes you want to progress further with it 
with the um, progression and that, for me, I felt the progression was going to be outside of what I was doing within the swimming environment. You know, I had this knowledge of the swimming and the sports background and fitness and health. There, and I also had like this newfound love of wanting to help people and wanting to coach or t- teach or train or however you call it. And I was thinking, how do I take that element of it and apply it to people that have been through a similar situation to myself? Um, you know, there's other people out there who have not just people who are athletes, but people just who are living their lives and they've had an accident happen to them or even if they were born with it. How do I help them in a way? So it just happened at the same time I was thinking of these thoughts. I was looking out there for stuff for myself, like how do I get fitter? How do I get healthier? So I make sure I have the best body essentially to live the life that I want to live. And whilst I was looking for stuff, I couldn't find anything out there. There was no government information. There was no YouTube channel. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of YouTube channels for someone who's not in a wheelchair, but for somebody who is in a wheelchair, there wasn't anything. So a sort of a light bulb moment clicked and I was like, this is something that I should be doing. You know, I've got my experience. I've got my love of coaching. All I need now is a camera and then start putting it up on YouTube. That's exactly what I did, saved for a little bit, got myself a camera and just started filming in my spare bedroom. And I instantly found that what I loved about the coaching, the analytical stuff, and that I transferred it into the adaption of exercise. So instead of like thinking about numbers and stats and all that kind of stuff, I was now thinking about like, oh, that's how somebody would work their chest. How do you do that if you can't transfer onto a bench to do a bench press? So it was taking the aspects of the things that I loved and enjoyed and transferring into this new found like idea and that I could push forwards and having those transferable skills has really helped to push forwards what I've been doing. What's the name of your company? So it's called Adapt to Perform and essentially with the name of it I was thinking initially I was just going to call it something very generic like wheelchair fitness uh, and as a tagline, something just came to my mind. It's like, well, I'm always adapting and I feel like adapt should be in there somewhere. Why are we adapting, essentially? And it, I thought it's to perform, but perform can be adapted as well as such. So it's like adapt, essentially, in whatever way you need to, to perform in whichever way that you desire. And that's kind of where the name sort of grew from over months of thoughts in my own head. Yeah, just trying to like think of a, a name that sort of tells you what we do without having to like you know without being too complicated so yeah how did you fund adaptive reform I mean, you have the idea you bought your camera how do you fund it i don't essentially <laughs> i fund it using my own skills essentially you know like time and effort I'm obviously very blessed to live in an era that the internet has definitely made what i do actually a reality i think if i tried to do this 15 years ago even it probably wouldn't have worked just because there's easily available free software that you can get and then you've got a wealth of knowledge on the internet that you can tap into and then use my skills that i've learned and how i adapt exercise for myself and then transfer that into a way that i can be presentable that's not always easy as well in the you know initially but it with time and just putting in hours of just doing it really and learning on the way because I was I was doing stuff that nobody had ever done before with these adaptations of exercises especially in a pre- presented form online 
I kind of had to figure it out. Like, um, so there wasn't like a course out there to do. There wasn't uh, that much stuff. So it was, yeah, just me figuring out just tons of research and what other people were doing. Like, how was another fitness presenter presenting what they were trying to, and then how do I adapt what they're doing to my audience? And then various things like that. So funding-wise, apart from buying a camera, that, that was it really. The rest of it was just my man hours. What's your biggest challenge? If you looked at everything, what would be the biggest challenge about what you're doing with Adapt to Perform? The biggest challenge is probably convincing people that don't go through the experiences that I've gone to come on board to realise the benefits of it. And it's a struggle that I think that a lot of people have within the disabled sector that aren't disabled themselves or... And it's realizing the potential of the disabled market for their business. There's stats and statistics I can't reel off the top of my head. 15% of the world's population is disabled in some way. And being able to market towards them means that you're tapping into a, a huge share of the human population. Not only that, it, it has a knock-on effect, whereas... Um, if you have a disabled family member as well and you see a company trying to advocate and trying to adapt their business for somebody who is disabled, they will more likely to do business with you because they see that you're doing the right thing for the people that they love. Extends to people that work with disabled people as well, like nurses and doctors and that. They see that the company's trying to do that and they're more likely to be supporting of their business. So the, the potential's there to be first in the market to help these people and to accelerate your business in a way that may not have been viable a while ago because of the the knowledge and the statistics maybe didn't weren't there to sh- to show it but part of what I do is to try and help these fitness companies or people that have a somewhat of a disabled population they would like to tap into to come up with solutions around the fitness stuff that we can help them to grow within their market so for example like working with a gym chain to make sure that their gyms are not just accessible in terms of getting a ramp and a disabled changing room but also make sure they got the right equipment and the right training on the door um, so that if somebody comes along they're not just umming and ahhing what to do they are there to be like oh welcome we've got a program this guy knows how to show you around the gym tell you what you can do etc so it's just another aspect of what we do to try and change the fitness industry to have a much more accessible outlook on their business plan so and yeah we try and do that for the benefit of my community which is my main drive behind it but also the benefit for them and growing their membership or whatever it might be what surprised you since you've started adapt to perform i think the definite thing that surprised me in the early days was how far-reaching the internet was allowing me to be with my audience. I assumed that when I posted stuff onto YouTube, I would be reaching the UK, you know, and then America and Canada and uh, and then Australia and New Zealand, all the English-speaking countries essentially. But I realised quickly that it went out to multiple places in the world, and it was helping people that were in very, very different situations to myself, despite having the same disability. So they would be maybe in India, Indonesia, even in parts of Africa and the Middle East and saying that we don't have the same access to the healthcare that I'm lucky to have in the UK with the NHS, 
or even the same resources available to them within their town or some of them have said oh we do have sports teams but they're in the capital and I live 16 hours away from the capital in a car or something like that so having the resources available to them online and to be able to do it within their own home some of the exercises that we do no additional equipment or cost and having the messages come through from them saying this is absolutely fantastic it's given me a new lease on life and that and that's that really surprised me I never thought that it would reach to those parts of the world essentially and to help people that although I've gone through a similar situation to myself physically their environments and their surroundings and their the culture they live in is extremely different to mine and how it can still help them in ways that I never thought was possible. How do you see Adapt to Perform going forward into the future? Yeah so as I said like We've got the YouTube channel that I've been doing for a while now. And the reason I say we is because I brought on a business partner last year. Uh, My expertise very much lie within fitness and not so much within the business side. So I brought on somebody who was much more business orientated and comes from a marketing background as well. So they helped me with essentially the product of Adaptive Form. I had created a community of people through the YouTube channel. And it's like, how do we monetize that in a way that is able to essentially be self-sustaining to promote the cause which is helping disabled people get more fit more of the time so with that i yeah brought on my business partner and he helped me develop a website and with that we have now have a website which is an online membership platform that essentially is the easiest way to say it's like netflix but it's adapted fitness instead so you pay a membership fee you go on there there's exercise videos but there's also programs and it's all adapted much like our slow you know our name is adapt to perform all our exercises are adapted depending on your level of ability what equipment you have uh, how hard you want to work out within the session so it's really adaptable and it's very unique on the market even within the whole fitness market there's not nothing really that has the level of adaptation that we have so it's really helpful for people that come on there and they're like well I might not be able to do that or I might not have that equipment yet or be able to afford it so giving them options to be able to train the way that they need to train so that's our product now and the thing going forwards is to get more people on board with that working both direct to customer but also through businesses working with stuff like employee benefit system some companies have like a large disabled workforce or they're employees might have family members that are and helping them to have a a system that not only helps their current people but also attracts people to their business that may be somebody that would be hugely beneficial to them who just so happens to have a disability and they could still enjoy the benefits of an that somebody would normally get with an employee benefits program so that's sort of one side that we do and essentially it's all driven towards getting as many people access to the information that we have via there we also have the youtube still so it's completely free if people can't afford it or we can't get to them via the means that i've said already so it's just and again there if we can just working with organizations organizations that might want to have some like corporate responsibilities programs and that that essentially want to help out the community that i help and work together to essentially make it better because having a fitter healthier disabled population means that more likely they're going to be into work and they'll be able to contribute and that has huge ramifications both on society as a whole the integration of disabled people more into society to give them 
essentially the power to change their own lives so you know if they're fitter and they're healthier they're less likely to need to go to hospital visits or doctor's visits and be able to essentially be more independent and that will help them massively physically and mentally. What's your involvement with, with Brunel? The summer school was the initial introduction to Brunel. So the summer school was when we went to Bali to uh, do the two weeks of teaching. Uh, I worked with Dr. Charlotte Kerner there and we worked together on programme. So she was doing most of the education side of it and I was brought in to do a little bit as long as well as some other teachers as well. well there I met Chris who's a Bruno alumni we became friends and he's the person who works at BSF went to Bruno and linked everybody together essentially you know it further ignited my love of what I do and just made me want to do more of it which is why now I'm traveling again and I'm going back to Bali in a couple of days going back to the same people to see how else I can help them and to be more integrated into their community a little bit more this time and see how I can help them on a deeper level and then continuing that within the other countries we do on our, our little round the world trip that we're, we're planning for the next couple of years. So yeah, it's pretty awesome to have the opportunity to do it, but then also to be able to come back and do it again and to see how we can further what we did last time. Will you be posting the Bali trip on your YouTube channel? The YouTube channel, I try and stick now to mainly fitness stuff. Um, I do post some stuff on my Instagram, which is the same stuff. Me and my recent wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so I got married five weeks ago now. We're traveling together around the world now. We have like done another Instagram page just to keep adaptive form as mo mainly adaptive form. And when I do the work with the charities, with the fitness stuff and that, it'll be posted via the adaptive form stuff. But the more fun travel-y situations they, they'll be posted on the other one to keep it a bit cleaner and a bit separate you mentioned you have an instagram yeah you have linkedin can you just tell us <laughs> how people can contact you yeah so the main thing to do is to search adapt to perform in any social media thing and you'll find me i've got all got all the handles as such um on linkedin it's both adapt to perform and my name as well is on i'm individually on there is ben clark as well my more travelly Instagram is Ali, which is my wife's nickname, and Benji, which is my nickname for each other. So Ali and Benji is our Instagram one. And yeah, you can find on there. YouTube is Adapt Perform as well. Uh, but even if you just search into Google, Adapt Perform, Ben, or whatever on there, then you'll find something I've done probably. <laughs> I want to say thank you for allowing me to be on here. This is It's always good to spread the message and to see how... Basically, we, I can help more people. You know, the more times I say this, you know, I've said this, what I've spoken to you today a lot, but the more I say it, the more people will listen, hopefully, and then hopefully that can lead to more people being helped, which is the main thing that we're trying to do. Okay, thanks, Ben. Yeah, thank you very and much. And I look forward to hearing more of your stories. Thank you very thanks. much. Bye. During our conversation, Ben mentioned Chris Pade, who is the Singapore Alumni Association President and Trustee of the Bali Sports Federation, BSF. Chris Pade will be our next guest here on Entrepreneurs in Action. Mm -hmm.